0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hanson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. We've been in a series, this is the third week of a series that we've uh, been looking at called Resilient, and uh, we're looking at the life of a, just an awesome Old Testament character named Joseph. and. If there's anything that we've learned so far, it's that this guy's life is far from dull. I mean, in two chapters, he has gone through more highs and lows than most of us will go through in a lifetime. Uh, <clears throat> he's gone from, if you, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, he's gone from favored son to despised brother. His brothers hated him so much, they sold him into slavery Joseph goes into slavery, and and in that story, he goes from bottom-of-the-rung slave, blah, 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 to favored, you know, uh, uh, number one slave in the household of this this wealthy Egyptian named, named Potiphar. And then last weekend, Olivia did a wonderful job uh, looking at the story where Joseph, as this, you know, he's a favored servant now in, in Potiphar's house. His wife falsely accuses Joseph, and, and he goes from favored servant, blah, 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 blah. And now he's in prison. And as chapter 39 ended last week, uh, already we see him in prisons moving in the direction of favor again. Uh, chapter 39, it says this. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the in the prison. And showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. And one of the things we've been seeing in this guy's life, in Joseph's life, that I think is amazing is it's just his attitude. But it's his attitude. Like, it's like no matter what's going on in his life, whether it's a high or a low, you know, whether he's, he's you know, been bought, uh, uh, sold into slavery, or he's been thrown into prison, it's like no matter what he's going through, you just don't see Joseph complaining or shutting down. Like it, in fact, it's just the opposite. As we look at his life, there's this strong peace there's this confidence in this guy's life that really doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, far from complaining, we actually see him working really hard. And he's, you know, he's he's caring and serving other people. And when I look at Joseph, it's like, man, who is this guy? It's like nothing gets him down. And uh, it reminded me of a, a cartoon came to my mind. In the 80s, my favorite cartoonist is a guy named Gary Larson. Do you remember the far side? Like, I just think the far side is the best. Do you want to throw that that uh, There we go. So this is from the far side. So these guys are all in hell. And see the guy with the blue shirt. He's working away and he's whistling, right, as he's in hell. And behind him are two devils. And one says to the other, you know, we're just not reaching that guy, right? I look at, thank you for laughing. They haven't laughed all weekend. I think that's hilarious. But it's, but I mean, to me, that guy in the blue shirt, that's Joseph, right? It's that's, that's Joseph. And how, so how, how is that possible? How is that possible to go through so many ups and downs and still have this, I mean, I don't know if he would be whistling in hell, but to still have that great attitude. Well, last weekend, if you remember, uh, Olivia uh, really told us the secret of Joseph's strong, uh, positive attitude, and it's this, it's the Lord was with him. That this young man, he believed, no matter what he was going through, he believed that God was with him, and in, in his life, That was totally the the factor that made all the difference for him. That was the place where he found that strength, where he found his resilience. And if you remember the first weekend, Andrew gave us a quote that we've been using every weekend, and it's this, kingdom resilience is taking one more step with God. And that right there is a key, one of the keys to the Christian faith. Of, 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 of growing as a Christian, of staying in step, of, of, of keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's really having this sense of, of recognizing each day that you're living your life with God. The strength of Joseph's life wasn't found in his situation, but rather the strength was found in the one who was with him in the situation. And, you know, when I, I, when I hear that, I go, you know, that's super challenging and encouraging, that's really good news because uh, wouldn't you say 2020 is turning out to be quite a situation, right, and this is quite a year and there are lots of things going on in our lives that we're all facing that really would challenge that sense of peace and confidence in the presence of God with us as we go through this situation. And I think it's really important to remember that there's nowhere in the, <clears throat> there's nowhere in the Bible that says And, uh, you know, and the Lord will answer all your questions. Like, there's no verse that says that. There's no verse in the Bible that says, uh, hey, and just so you know, at some point, uh, this side of heaven, everything's gonna make sense and it's all gonna come clear to you. Like, it doesn't say that. But it does say in the Bible that in this life, we are going to have trials. We are going to have ups and we are going to have downs. But then here's the best thing. In the Bible, it does say in this life, we will never be alone. As the Lord was with Joseph, so he is with you right now. Like whatever you're going through right now as an individual, as a couple, as a family, business, health, all the stuff of life. The truth is that God is with you right now. And you know, and what some of us need this morning, and here's really the, the point of my talk, so after this you can, you're free to go. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, you are. But uh, The point of my talk is this, what we really need today is not an answer or explanation from God regarding our situation because that's really not gonna give us what we really need. What we really need is a greater awareness, a greater experience, and a greater confidence of the presence of God with us right now in whatever it is that we are going through. And again, I'll say this quote, kingdom resilience is taking one more step with God. And that's what we see in Joseph's life. His perspective on his situation was, whoa, okay, I didn't see this coming as he's off to prison or, you know, uh, you know off to Egypt as a slave. I didn't see this coming. Uh, this doesn't seem like a lot of fun, but God is with me. And because God is with me, that means that there is purpose in this situation. If there was no purpose in this situation, he would get me out of this situation. So number one, if you're a note taker, is the purpose of the trial, the purpose of the trial. We need to be encouraged. There is great purpose in the stuff, the hard stuff we go through. As we look at the life of Joseph, uh, we have the advantage of knowing the story. Uh, We have the advantage of knowing where this is all going in this young man's life. Um, I'm gonna be looking at chapter 40 and then just the beginning of chapter 41. But if you know the story of Joseph, you know that at the beginning of 41, That's the part of the story where Joseph comes before Pharaoh, great Pharaoh, who's had a, a very disturbing dream. And Joseph comes into his presence and interprets the dream. And then Pharaoh responds this way to Joseph. Genesis forty one forty one, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen, clothing, and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Now that's where the story's heading. We know that. We have that advantage. But just consider this. Joseph right now in the story is sitting in a stinky, dark prison, clueless to the fact that in like two years, he is literally going to go from prisoner to prince in like 10 minutes. Right? Like he's, he's going to go from prisoner to second in command in Egypt. Joseph Doesn't know it, but that he doesn't know that God's plan for his life is that he will step into a role of leadership where uh, thousands, if not millions of lives will be saved from famine because of Joseph. He doesn't know it yet, but this plan that God has for him is he's going to step into a role of leadership that's going to set the stage for God to care for his chosen people, Jacob and his family, right? That they too will survive the great famine because of Joseph. And finally, Joseph doesn't know it yet, but God's plan for him literally will set the stage for God's future plans for his people. Think the story of Moses, the Exodus, the the promised land. Joseph doesn't know that yet. He's sitting in prison right now. Uh, and, And so this is where we get to the purpose, the purpose of the trial. Look at those plans that I just read off, right? God has big plans for this young man. So how do you get Joseph ready for that kind of a life change? Right, we're talking in 10 minutes, right? He's going from prisoner to prince. How do you get someone ready for that kind of promotion, that kind of power and influence? How do you get a, you know, a young man, he's probably by now in his early 20s, how do you get him ready to, to, uh, for a life where everywhere he goes, everyone bows down before him? Right, how do you get him ready for that? Well, I would say he first needs to learn how to bow before God. And before God could trust Joseph with great power, wealth, influence, God first needed to refine this young man's character. And how would he do that? Well, he's gonna do it through his trials. And it's the same for you and it's the same for me. Uh, James uh, chapter one, verse two says this. It says, dear brothers and sisters, Whenever troub- when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I'm going to stop there. I know most of the people in this room, and I know you're probably more familiar with the NIV, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I know we're familiar with that verse, but I want to challenge us, challenge us to stop and really look at that verse and, and really consider, like, that's crazy. Like, do you actually know anyone that does that? Like, seriously, because look what it says, when when troubles of any kind, I mean, what troubles are you going through right now, right? When troubles of any kind come your way, what does it say? It says, well, you need to consider that as an opportunity for great joy, right? Like, I look at that, and I go, that's crazy. That's crazy. Why, God? Why should we celebrate the hard times? Why should we? Verse 3 says this. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your resilience, your kingdom resilience has a chance to grow. Like, do you want to grow? I think you do. I think we all do. We all want to grow. Verse 4 says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed as you go through these trials, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So... Let me turn this towards us. Just as God had plans for Joseph and was working through his trials to get Joseph uh, ready for those plans, it's the same for you and me. Now, we, it, God's plan for us may not be leading a nation. right? I guess we'll find out November 3rd if we write somebody in the 3rd. But, okay, that was a joke, but not very funny, I guess. That's fair. Not very funny. Just off the cuff. But, uh, but my, my hunch is not many of us are called to lead nations. But you know what? But... It, the plans God has for you are just as important as the plans he had for Joseph because they're God's plans for you, right? They're God's plans for you. So how, how will he prepare you, prepare me for those plans? Well, it's the same as Joseph, right? It's gonna be through the trials. It's gonna be him, you know, it's gonna put purpose into our trials where he refines us and our characters and gets us ready for the plans that he has for us. So what do, what is that process Look like Well, I think there's a lot of things I could say right now, but I want to focus on this. The refining, preparing work of God primarily happens in our relationships with others. Like, wouldn't you say, it's, it's in, in, you know, as we interact with each other at home, at work, at school, and just in life, um, that really is the place in our life where the rubber hits the road. And, and if you call yourself a Christian, that really is one of the primary places where we get to walk out our faith. Because, I mean, let's be honest. It's easy to gather together, you know, every weekend. I'm sure we sing a song that says, oh, take my life. I want to be just like you, Jesus. That's easy to sing. That's easy to say. That's easy to pray. And those are, that, that is a good thing to pray because that really is God's plan for, for our lives. Is he wants to make us more and more like Jesus. So, but, but, but it's easier to sing, but it is way, way harder to actually do. So, how do we know if we really are growing and becoming more like Jesus? Well, it shows in our relationships with others. So, number two, número dos, is the purpose of people in the trial. So number one is, hey, be encouraged, right? Be encouraged. There's, there's great purpose in the trial you're going through. God's refining you. He's preparing you for his work. But then number two is, but understand that that refining, preparing work is probably going to be happening most often in and through our relationships. So in chapter 40, sort of going backwards, in chapter 40 of Genesis, we're in, introduced to two new characters. It's Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, and uh, what we're going to see here, I'm going to read a big chunk uh, uh, of the story. We're going to see that God is going to refine. He's going to do some of that refining work in Joseph's life through these two fellow prisoners. So you can get comfortable. I'm going to read a longer section here. This is Genesis 40, verse 5, and we'll be all, reading all the way through to Hebrews 3. So here we go. That's how I see. That's pastor, like, are they listening? So verse five says, While, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so sad today, he asked them. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation... He said to Joseph, "'Well, I had a dream too. "'In my dream, there were three baskets "'of white pastries stacked on my head. "'The top basket contained all kinds of pastries "'for Pharaoh, but the birds came "'and ate them from the basket on my head. "'This is what the dream means,' Joseph told him. "'The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up "'and impale your body on a pole. "'Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh, "'be warm and filled.'" Right? So that's the, that's the second. That's, that's a, I know that's a big chunk, but remember, it says earlier on that the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Uh, we're learning that there was purpose in the trial. God knew. We know the, the plans that he had for Joseph. But first, before He could get to those plans, the first thing was he, there needed to be some refining work to take place in his life. So I want to go back through what we just read, and I'm going to pull out three refining moments uh, from the story. So the cupbearer and the baker both have dreams. They're upset. And it says in verse six, when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so sad today? He asked them. Now here's refining moment number one. And what do I mean by refining moment? Like something that God wants to change, wants to work into this young guy's life. Here's the question. Number one, Joseph, will you be sensitive to others even when you don't feel like it? That sounds kind of simple, but let me read it again. If Joseph, will you be sensitive to others even when you don't feel it feel like it? And it's like God saying, Hey, if you're gonna do what I have for you to do, this is important. Right? But when I look at Joseph, I'm it's like I can think of why, I can think of a lot of reasons why he wouldn't feel like helping others at all. Because others haven't been very good to Joseph. I mean, he's been falsely accused, he's now in prison, he's you know, talk about the others, he's been deserted by his family, and, and I don't know how. I mean, Joseph's just a human being, right? Like, like you and like me. I don't know how he can't be consumed at some level by bitterness and self-pity at this stage of his life. And, and as human beings, when we're in a hard place like that, you know, it, it comes so natural that, that we can't see and we really don't care about anyone but ourselves, right? You get very self-centered in those kind of times, and yet what does he do in the story? it says that he noticed that they looked upset, right? They noticed that he looked upset, and he didn't just notice, because noticing that someone is upset is the easy part, right? Tomorrow, lots of you are gonna go to work or to school or whatever you have planned for tomorrow, and everywhere we go, we're probably gonna see people, we're probably gonna notice people who are upset, Right? Actually, now, with what we're going through, everywhere you go, you're going to notice people <laughs> who, are, uh, who are upset. That's the easy part. But the refining part, the place where change happens, where growth occurs, is when he doesn't just notice them, but where he engages them. And he looks at them, and he says, hey, why are you so sad? See, um, wouldn't you agree that we are such a feelings-oriented culture, like, I don't think this is a stretch at all to say, if we don't feel it, we're not gonna do it. Isn't that fair? I think that's fair to say. If we don't feel it, we're not gonna do it, and especially when it comes to considering others and caring, caring for others, but God wants to grow you. He wants to change you. There's something that he wants to, you know, refine. There's something that he wants to work into your life. He wants to make you more like Jesus, and here, here's an example of Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish, Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So how how would God work that? You know, how would God work that into our lives? Well, for many of us, God is asking, will you be sensitive to others? With all that we're going through right now, will you be sensitive to others even when you don't feel like it? And if that's you, your growth will occur in this area when you not only uh, notice people, but where you start engaging people, caring for people, seeking to, like Joseph, to help others. And the primary place that's going to happen is in your home. It's going to be with your spouse or, your, you know, or with your family. It's going to be with your roommate. It's going to happen at work. It's going to happen at school where, where we are noticing, engaging, and it's in that place where we have an opportunity to grow. That's number one. Number two, verse eight says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. So the second refining moment, the thing that God wants to work into Joseph's life, here's the question. Joseph, will you serve in an area where you not only don't feel it, but where you are disappointed, right? Another way to put that, Joseph, can I use you to interpret their dreams even though your own dreams have not been fulfilled. Right, now this might not make sense if you're not familiar with the story, right? But, but uh, uh, the first weekend when we first meet Joseph, he's a teenager and God literally comes to him as a teenager and gives them these, him these crazy dreams, right? And they're promises from God. And in, the, in, in, in these dreams, people are literally bowing down to him. So he has these amazing promises of God that God put in his heart that God gave him and meanwhile, what's going on in his life right now? He's sitting in prison, right? I, I wouldn't blame him at all if he was a little cynical about dreams. But, but now God's asking him, hey, but will you still let me use you in these other, you know, these other guys' lives? And, and you know, I think this is one of the toughest things that we have to face and, and, and deal with in life is dreams, hopes, desires that aren't fulfilled. And then add to that, if you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you, you, know, you can't read much of the Bible without finding promises of God. Right? It's full of promises. And I know personally, one of the toughest things about that is, is when those promises, when it, from what I can see, and what I, you know, they aren't being fulfilled. That's a hard, hard place. Right? And if that's what's going on, like, like literally, uh, disappointment is knocking at the door of your heart and wanting to come in. And right behind disappointment is this weaselly guy named cynicism. And right behind cynicism, I don't know how to describe this one, but there's unbelief. Right? It's a hard place. Disappointment is a really, really hard place. And, but, but the question is, and the growth, the opportunity for growth in this area is, hey, uh, will you stay in the game? Will you be available to God even in places of great disappointment? So for instance, you may be here today and you're thinking, or you, if you were honest, you'd say, I, my relationship with God just feels like a desert, dry. I don't hear you. I don't see you. I don't feel you. And you're in that hard place and God nudges you and goes, hey, why don't you go pray for that person over there that they would th- experience my love and hear my voice? Like, will you do it? Will you stay in the game? Or, or, you know, you've been praying for healing. You've been praying for healing for, for someone in your family. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. The Bible commands us to pray for the sick, right? And you're praying and praying and you don't see, you don't see anything happen. And God has the audacity to say to you, hey, could you go pray for that lady over there and pray for her, her healing for the exact same condition that you've been praying for? Like, will you do it? Will you stay in the game? Or, or you've been, you know, you've got a you've got a, a you know a, a, an uncle or someone that you've been praying for them for years that they would come to know Jesus. And it just seems like it's getting worse, not better, in, in this uncle's life. And then in that space, in that hard place of disappointment, God nudges you and said, Hey, see your new neighbor across the street. Why don't you like don't just start praying for him? But I want you to share your faith with that guy. Right? that's disappointment. I, I've experienced this in my own life a lot and I've seen it so much in the church that disappointment, one of the powers of disappointment is it pulls you or it's wanting to pull you off the field to not, I'm just not gonna play anymore. But how does Joseph respond in the story when they, you know, they say there's no one to interpret? He follows it with, oh, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And really what he's saying there is put me in coach. Put me in, coach. His yes, his obedience to what God had for him really was a declaration of his faith. It was a declaration of his faith that I still trust you, God. And for many of us, if you're in that kind of a hard place today, your growth will occur as as you obey God in the areas or area of your greatest disappointments. When you will, even though you don't feel it, even though it hasn't happened yet, you will still step into the game and say, "But I still believe that God can do it, because He said it would do. He would do it." And that is incredibly hard, but that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And your obedience will be a demonstration of your faith, but it also will be an incredible opportunity for growth in your life. Number three, refining moment. Number three, what God is wanting to work into Joseph's life. Joseph. <clears throat> Will you trust me to fulfill the plans I have for you in my time and in my way? And in verse 14, after he interprets the first dream, remember when he says this? He says, oh, and please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so he might get, let me out of this place. Like, uh, I find verse 14 and 15 really encouraging because up till this point, Joseph is like this squeaky, clean, perfect guy that I can't relate to with all that he's going through. But when I see this, I go, ah, finally, I can relate to this guy. And what I mean is this is the first time in, this, in his story where we see any hint of anxiety, of, of disappointment, of unbelief, of fear, of impatience, of trying to grab this, his situation, take control of the situation and make things happen. He's looking to the cupbearer and really he's looking beyond the cupbearer at, at Pharaoh and, and, he's, and he's looking to Pharaoh to get him out of this trial that he's in. And, if, and, and in the story, uh, you know, the, the interpretation is three days, three days Pharaoh's gonna you know, reinstate you and wouldn't you know it, in three days word travels around the prison Have you heard, you know, the cup bearer and the the baker are being released? And how could you not? I mean, I just imagine Joseph when he hears that news going, all right, all right, I'm out of here. He's going to do this and this, and then it's all going to fall into place, and I'm going to be set free. But look how chapter 40 ends. It says, Pharaoh then restored the chief cup bearer to his former position, so he could again uh, hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer bearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And then the next chapter starts with two full years later. Here's Joseph waiting, waiting, waiting. We know, we know that 41 means Joseph, or Joseph. Everything is gonna change. But let, let me end with this. Let me end with this. If you're in a place of waiting, or if you're in a place of waiting, or if you're in a place of you have, you know, you're trying to take control, right? You're trying to make something happen. For many of us, our growth will occur when we, ha- when we hand over control for the when and how of our lives and the lives of our loved ones. The growth will occur when we hand over control for the when and how for our careers, our relationships, our businesses, our studies, our hopes, our dreams, all known. I'm not saying we just sit on the couch and don't do anything. Don't hear that. I mean, we're active, but we're active up to the point of our responsibility, right? Because I think some of us are trying to do God's work for him. And as human beings, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. Like, do you really want that responsibility do you really want the responsibility for your life, your loved one, for your future of trying to fit all the pieces? Like, look at what all that God was doing. Who do you think gave the dreams to the cupbearer and the baker? It's God. He's working everything in his plan. Like, do you want that responsibility? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. So we need to, we need to hand that over, hand back control to God. And then, because we're human, when you take back control and you start stressing out and manipulating, trying to manipulate people and trying to make something happen and trying to you know, posture and all the anxiety, let that be a reminder to let go of a responsibility that you are not built to carry. And as you give it back to him, there's gonna be growth. You're gonna grow. He's refining you. That oh, is, is a refining moment in your life. Here's God's invitation to all of us. Matthew 11, this is from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'll end with this. The strength of Joseph's life was not in his situation. It was his belief, his confidence, his his constant leaning into the truth or the presence of the one who was with him in the situation. And again today, what what we really need more than answers, more than explanations, if we are going to become kingdom resilient people, and what does that mean? That's, That's people who are trusting, who are obeying, who are following God when they don't feel it, when we don't see it, when we're having to wait for it, right? That's and, and that is gonna come as we have, that resilience will come as we have a greater handle on this amazing truth that we are never alone and that, uh, that he's always with us. So why don't we stand up? We're gonna worship for a couple songs here. And, uh, you know, as we do, here's another area where, the Christian faith says you need to lean into a truth even when you don't feel it. Because the Bible says that God is with us right now. And I don't mean he's just sitting in the corner watching us, he is like actively doing work in the room right now. So I just encourage you as we worship, as we sing these songs, I encourage you, you know if it helps to open your hands, but I encourage you just to have an expectation that God is with us and that he's actively, lovingly with us. uh, as we sing these two songs, if you, if you grab communion elements, feel free to take communion on your own with your family, your, by yourself, with your friends. If you, you want to take communion, there are elements on the back tables, but feel free to do that as we worship. But uh, let's worship. If you get a picture, a word, a sense as we're worshiping, and you think, ah, this might be for the group, I'd uh, invite you over here to Andrew, who's wearing that beautiful blouse. Uh, um, but come on over to here and, and let us know, and then we'll pray for each other at the end of the service after these two songs. Let's worship.